I want to also congratulate all those who were enrolled successfully yesterday into the women's skills. We want to thank God for the success of that program. And today we are looking at the topic that your lampstand be not removed. All these months we have been having a panoply, so many topics, different shades of it, and people speaking from the word of God what we have to do to shine. And Proverbs 4.18 will tell us that the path of the just is like the sun that shines brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. So what God is trying to accomplish in our life is that we shine brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. So that we don't get to a point and say, okay, I've reached there. And this topic today, I want to make a disclaimer first that what I am declaring is the word of God. It's not my standard. If it is my standard, I will bring it a little lower. I will keep it where it's comfortable for me. <laughs> but Paul was writing to the Corinthians. He said to them, If the trumpet does not sound correctly, who will prepare for war? You know, in the military, they use the bugle to tell them different occasions. When it's time for march pass, when it's a celebration, when there is war, the sound of the bugle declares what is going to happen. But if when there is war, you sound like there is a celebration, there will be confusion in the camp. So I want to just declare these words the way they are. Not because I have met those standards, or not because I'm perfect. Or uh, when you see me tomorrow, you say, Oh, I can't see. Nah, God, I'm a, you know, there is something that she's doing. Please look at the word as what it is. It's not my word. Praise the Lord. And um, what this sentence means, that your lampstand be not removed, means that there is a possibility. There is a possibility that the lampstand can be removed. That message was to the church. General, the seven churches. We will soon read where we had read in the passage. And uh, they were wondering, we will be wondering, is it possible that after running this race, that we get to a point and uh, we no longer accounted worthy of receiving the eternal goal that we we targeted. So what we are doing today is that we want to look at how did God put it. So I want us to look at that passage which we have read in Revelation the book of Revelation chapter 2 from verse 1 it says to the church 
to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Unless you repent. So, when we look at the, the passage we have just read, the question, I, like I raised before, is, are we sure, are we sure that anybody can start this race, have all these credentials that were mentioned here, and at the end of the day, the lampstand is removed. It doesn't sound like what this merciful God will do. But I want us to look at some aspects of what we want to study today. The first thing I want us to know is that God wants us to come to his kingdom. I want us to read from Luke. The book of Luke 12, verse 32. If you have and you are ready, you can help me read quickly. Luke 12. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it is God's pleasure to give us the kingdom. Uh, in, in my language, when we are in a boy, it's a Take, 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 take. When you are stretching your hand, I will now take it back. I say, I'm not giving again. God is not like that. His intention is to give us the kingdom. He wants to. So there is no point. He's like, I don't want to give this. So if they just do one small thing now, I'll take it away from them. That's not his intention. I want us to read it, read another passage in First um, Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, preferably from the Message Bible. First Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. From the Message Bible. May God himself the God who makes everything holy and whole, makes you holy and whole, puts you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master, Jesus Christ. 24. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he will do it. If he said it, he will do it. Well, look at what he said he will do. He, so, we are... Paul said, may he who called you make you holy, blameless, blameless, 
on the day of his appearing. And he said, don't be afraid. The same person who, who said this thing, who is making this requirement, will make it happen. Because he, it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So when he makes a demand, he makes it possible. He makes it possible. So I, I, I'm building a background to where I'm going. So that's the first thing I want us to do. So that when we hear about our lampstand being taken away, we don't start saying, ah, Chineko, you possible. God has planned, he, in his plan, he has perfected that he will bring you there. He wants to bring us there. That's number one. Number two is also that we must notice that God is a just God. He is a just God. And uh, his justice. When I was singing Ancient and Modern uh, 372 one day, I sang the second stanza. And, you know, part of what the, the problem, why sin has become part of our life in the church and we have relaxed in the midst of, midst of so many unhealthy things in the church is because we are beginning to hear that the love of God surpasses all things. You know, God loves us so much, so much, so much that he just wants us to come to his kingdom. Nothing matters. In short, if me, Noye doesn't come to the kingdom, God will be angry and he will be sorry. Hey, he will be, it will be paining him that I didn't come. That's not what God is saying. He is a just God. So when I sang that hymn, I went back to sing it again. I know many of us who are core Anglicans can always sing it. It says, Unresting, unhasting, and silent as night, no wasting, no wanting, thou rulest in my force. Thy justice like mountains high soaring above the clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. So God will be just in spite of his love. He will be just. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ so much. But the sin of man demanded justice. And he has to let him die. Think about it. So that justice aspect of God must be ringing in our brain all the time. If you read uh, the book of uh, Colossians, Colossians, I think, chapter 3, 5 to 6, he said, he listed some things that people do some of the things that are to be thrown away. And he said, it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes on the ungodly. There was some, uh, let's read it, please. Colossians chapter 3, 5 to 6. So you must belong to this earth so that those things will stop being part of your life. 
you must not have sex with someone who is not your husband or your wife. You must not think bad, dirty thoughts. You must not want to have sex with other people. You must not want to do bad things. You must not have more and more things for yourself. People who want this strongly, like, that are making these things more important than God. So they are really worshipping those things. Verse 6. God will be very angry with people who do those bad, thing, bad things. He will punish those people. Verse 7. At one time, you were doing these kinds of bad things. These things were ruling your lives then. But now, you must refuse to do these kind of things. You must not become angry easily. You must not continue to be angry with people. You must not want to do bad things to people. You must not say bad things that you are not true about people. You must not speak bad and dirty words. Verse 9. It's okay. Thank you. So, but what I wanted to point out is in verse 7. It says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of uh, disobedience. So, it will not be just for God that he is punishing the disobedient for something. And his children are doing the same thing. It doesn't tally. It doesn't tally. That God will be punishing somebody for being disobedient, being wrathful, keeping malice, being a, a, a fornicator, or any other thing that Paul listed in that in part one or in part two. You know, there are, there's the first one that he mentioned where you put to death, and then the other one also, a deliberate effort to put off. He said, it is because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the children of uh, disobedience. So let's have that in mind. And the third thing we must do now recognize is that those things that make the lampstand to be removed, those nevertheless, Every sin or unrighteousness has its just recompense. It's not about it's the saints that do it. So I'll leave them. And then the unbelievers do them. I'll punish them. It doesn't follow. So I want us to now look at the seven churches in that revelation and see how God corrected them. The, the principal things he said about each one. The church at Ephesus. That's the one we are looking at today. I want you to consider their credentials. Look at how beautiful the things that were said about them ring out. He said to the church, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? These things Says he, who has this? Okay, from three. He says, I know your works. You know, when he said to Laodicea, he said, I know your works. He said, you are neither hot nor cold. But this one, he's had good things to say about. Say, I know your works, your labor, your patience. <laughs> and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. They have good credentials. So many things were good for them. In short, they even hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which God hated. So many things were good for them. But in verse 4 it says, Nevertheless. Nevertheless. 
I have this against you that you have left your first love. They have left their first love. I don't know how to measure the, the first love and where they were. I, don't, I, I wasn't in Ephesus and, and I'm, I don't know how they have moved far from it. But I want us to also to look at our own lives and see how we measure what level of response to God do we have compared to when we accepted this faith. Have we come to the point that we have known God so much that we now rationalize his instructions? It's not like uh, that's not what God is saying about. So we have understood God to a point that we can reason it, argue with the Holy Spirit and win the argument. And so when we win the argument, we allow things to go the way we want it to go and not the way God wants it to go. Whatever was the measure of that departure from the first love, God knows. And Jesus who was speaking to them knew. But you also know, and I know, how much we have departed from our first love. And he said to us, repent. Repent. Or I will remove your lampstand unless you repent. Unless you repent. So when you talk of this somehow, somebody will say, are you preaching sinless perfection? Is it possible here on earth that you have to be, you know, just prim and proper all around? I may not be preaching sinless perfection because John told us, if you say you have no sin, but I want you also to read that passage very well. He said, if you say you have no sin, singular, that's the, the, the urge, the, the drawing, the temptation to sin, it will never go. It will always be there. That's what that passage is saying. That Temptation to sin will always be with us while we are here. You know, we are saved from the consequences of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We shall be saved from the presence of sin. So, while we are here, that temptation to sin will always be there. But that is not a license for us to now say, okay, nobody is perfect now. Let me just be doing my own. After all, this person is dealing with anger. This person is dealing with talkativeness. The other person is dealing with this. So let's just try and move on like that. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. So if you look at the other churches also, there are churches that didn't return receive any reproval. Like the, the church in Smyrna, he said he, so, he has seen their suffering and that they had rich and they had been slandered by the uh, devil and they are standing. He said, fear not. Remain faithful to the end. So part of the things that Jesus brought out here is, first of all, apart from the individual rebukes he gave to them, he said, repent. Repent. That's the key word that we must go out from here today. Repent. We 
don't have to sit on any shortcoming and say, okay, no. Jesus said to each of them, repent. Repent. And turn away from your sins. Otherwise, I will remove your lampstand. So he doesn't want us to look at those things and say, okay, grace covers it. Grace, grace, grace. Super grace, abundant grace, extravagant grace, whatever type of grace we call it. Grace actually means the enablement of God. The power that God gives us to overcome situations that ordinarily I don't have the capacity to overcome. That's what grace means to me. I don't know if you have any other interpretation for it. But that's what it means. That's me. That, like Ijoma will say that uh, if you give certificate for malice, I will receive a PhD from you because I will keep it so perfectly and I, would, I wouldn't even know that, that me that could do that will now live a life that if I pass anybody and I have anger in my heart, I will not be able to sleep until I make it right. That's what grace is all about. That capacity to do what God will want you to do, which ordinarily on your own, you have no ability to do at all. That's what grace is all about. But what we have in many places today, in many of the people who teach us on television, on the social media, every other place, they are telling us that grace, grace, grace covers it. Grace covers it. And grace tells you that you can sleep with some a young girl who is coming to you to learn the word of God and nothing happens. And grace teaches them that they can do anything. They can abuse elders. They can live anyhow. They can wear dresses that expose their boobs and nothing happens. That is not grace. That's not grace. Grace enables, in short, if you put grace and law, grace demands more. Grace demands more. So, I don't know where that doctrine was coming from, but wherever it's coming from, it's not from God. If you like, you can go back to those seven churches. I won't have time to look at them individually here and talk of what Jesus told them. But first of all, he told them that whatever it is he finds as a shortcoming among you, repent from it. Repent. The second thing he made them know is that it is he who endures to the end that will be saved. Some of us started this race way back. My brother here started way back in the 80s. Many, many years of race and patience and deprivation. You know, uh, when I came into the University of Nigeria and uh, I just got born again. So, the October rush was on and people were coming and our colleagues, our classmates were saying, you going to go to a boyfriend. you going to go to a boyfriend. You know? And you started then to suffer what people call deprivation. You didn't boyfriend. You didn't girlfriend. You left it, so many things along. And you get to the last point. And that is when you will start telling story that you are gracing. And you grace. 
God forbid. God forbid. You know how terrible and painful it can be that you have put your luggage in order, you are traveling, you want to board a flight, and they pack chagrin in everything they in order. Have you seen half a drug somewhere inside it? Ebula bagidobe na koko na abia ana asa chigi na asa chigi ndi police ana chikota handcuff plane and we take care of. That's one of the most painful things to happen to people. So I don't know I don't know what you are saying, but I want you to spend time even in this time of this service. In the time of this, uh, within the period of this message, and look at your life and say, What is God reproving me of? What aspect of my life can I see? You know, when we have a fire uh, in a, a, an organization, there's something they call muster point. Muster point is where you gather and be sure that everybody who is in that organization is out in case of fire. So, can you we sit down and look at our life and do the master point of our life and check which aspect of my life is God complaining about? What is God complaining about my life? And somehow I'm living in the deceit that it might not be, it might not be anything. He's saying to us today, repent or I will take away your lampstand. Repent. Or are we take? He said, unto him that overcomes. What do you overcome? That hindrance. That, that inability. That thing that the enemy is trying to use to tie you down. Unto him that overcomes. I will give several things. He said, there is, there is a precious uh, stone that will be given to you. And the name that will be written on it. Only you will know it. Ah! I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. The reward is to him that overcometh. And when Peter was writing to us, he said, in Second Peter 3, I think 14 or thereabouts, he said, knowing that the person we are coming to is such a holy person, he said, make every effort. Make every effort. So it's not like I just get complacent and say it's okay. At this stage, there's nothing more I can do. It's just what I can help. No, you can help. We can all help it. We can all help it if we decide that we want to repent. So that's the first thing. Repent. Repent. And when Jesus wants us to repent. What is repentance? What is repentance? Repentance is not uh, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry, Father. Your tears are even coming down from your eyes. Lord, I'm very sorry about this. I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. And then when you finish, you go back. You start from the same point. No. Repentance means that I was going in this direction. And I realize confession means that I am agreeing with God that what I'm doing is wrong. That's what confession means. So when you're saying, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have not obeyed you in this area of my life, in this other area of my life. You are saying, God, I agree that this thing is wrong. That's what it means. 
you agree, God is now expecting, okay, this is an agreement. Can you turn and move away from what you have just discussed? But what many of us do is, ah, God, I'm very sorry. Ah, Father, please forgive me. Ah, forgive me. This weakness is killing me. Please forgive me. And you go. And you continue. And we continue. It's not proper. It's not proper. All of us that have children know that when we have children who come to us repeatedly with, and say, Mommy, I'm please, I'm sorry. And then you go and do this. You know, we say, what kind of nonsense is this? Stop deceiving me. You know? You want a genuine turning around. That's what makes repentance what it is. A turning around from what it is. So that we don't look at these ones that Jesus talked, uh, Paul talked about it. Jesus talked, and in our individual life, just like he, he said to them, uh, the church at Thyatira had permitted the worship of Jezebel. Promiscuity was a norm in that church, and it's like they are not bothered. The church in Pegamon tolerates those who have the doctrine of Balaam, who teaches people how to trip others so that they will fall into sin. The church in Laodicea thought they are rich, but they are very poor because they were lukewarm. And Jesus said, I will spew them out of my mouth. So there was none of these things that he looked at and said, okay, because of the ones you have done, no, I just want you to just continue like that. No. He is expecting a turning around. You have a very wonderful credential. In short, in this era of ungodliness in the world, your life is a testimony. You have done so much. When you look at your life and look at the rest of the other people, ah, you have done so much. You are, you are wonderful. But Jesus, Paul will tell us that he who compares himself with themselves is not wise. It's not about... I look at Sister Vitalia and I think I'm doing better. And so it's okay. No. Or Vitalia looks at another person and says, that, that person, at least I'm better than this one. No. It is a standard we stand before God. In uh, Leviticus, uh, I think 527, when uh, the priests were to receive uh, offerings and things from the people, he said, God said to Moses, when they bring these offerings, when they bring everything, that thing has to be weighed according to the shekels of the sanctuary. It's not according to the shekels I have in my family. You know, by my standard, I weigh myself and I'm okay. But when I now place myself on the balance of God, there is a nevertheless beside it. He said, that nevertheless, I should repent. Or he will take away my life's lampstand. So maybe you take time to look at your life and ask yourself, what is the nevertheless in my life? What is it that if I stand before God now, there's an area of my life that I won't want him to talk about publicly. Or I won't want him to ask me, how I'm doing in that area. When you think of it and anything that comes to your heart, tell yourself, Noye, deal with this problem or it will deal with you. Deal with this problem now or this problem 
we deal with you. I don't have to wait and wait and wait and wait. And the way people die is frightening. The way people die is frightening. You know, recently I had an opportunity to know that death is different from sleep. Somebody's long died and you're calling like he's fresh, looking like he's sleeping. And you're calling, calling, calling. And there is no sign of life. No answering, nothing. And it means that it is over and it is over. We all pray for time for amendment of life. But please, let us also live that if we don't have, we will not have anything to regret. So what do we do so that our lampstand will not be removed? What do we do about the nevertheless in our life? Is it just to think about them and uh, forget about them? Number one is that, like I said, confession means you accept that it is wrong. You agree with God that this is not the right thing to do. So, when you know that, when we know that, we begin to pray about it. In Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, I want us to read it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, uh, 15 to 16, sorry. Okay, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So Jesus understands. He knows the struggle you're going through because of that weakness. He knows. He understands. He said, But he was at all in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So when he's telling you that I understand, I understand, you, I understand your weaknesses. I understand what anger is doing in your life. I know people can be very upsetting. People can be, you know, in so many ways, you, you can excuse it. But he said of himself that he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So what did he say? He said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So we should make it something we bring to him and say, Lord, help me. You know, many of us, we pray about so many other things. We pray about the car we want to buy. We pray about our children. We pray about money. We pray about our houses. We pray about our relations. We pray about those that we want to be saved. But we don't bring the weaknesses in our life to God so that he will help us. So that he will help us overcome them. Because it is to him that overcome it. The victory that Jesus gives, the crown that he gives, is to him that overcome it. Not him who wished that, oh, these things be taken away. So, grace is available. Grace is available. For every shortcoming that is in our life, there is grace enough for us to overcome. Grace, there is grace to overcome anger. There is grace to overcome bitterness. There is grace to overcome every manner of offense that people might bring in your life. There is grace to keep quiet when there is no need to talk. Because some of us, our problem comes from the way we use our words. 
and in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So we just keep talking, 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 talking. And God is saying, keep quiet, keep, uh, we are not hearing. So whatever it is, that, if, is it about forgiving people? There is grace to forgive. But we must come to the throne of grace. The throne of Jesus is called the throne of grace. Where people receive grace and mercy to help in the time of need. To overcome sin, first of all. That's what that grace does for us. That grace is for us to overcome sin. Praise the Lord. The second thing is to look on to him in faith. Who has run this race before us? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, B says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So as you look, as you look, we are transformed. There's this song that I like singing. It says, Looking on unto Jesus. Look upon his wonderful face And all things of the world will grow strangely dim If you look on his wonderful face So Jesus is standing. He's the only person even Paul, with all his credentials, is not the person that God said we should look at. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. So if by faith you're looking at Jesus, and say, you are saying, the Bible says, he overcame so many misgivings and terrible things from sinners, it's also possible for you as we look at him, as we believe him, as we go according to his uh, leading. And then finally, the other thing we must do is to make real our companionship with the Holy Spirit. If we must overcome any shortcoming in our life, if we must overcome anything that Jesus is asking us to overcome so that our lampstand will not be removed, we must Follow the instruction of the Holy Spirit. It must be according to the leading of the Spirit of God. If it's not according to the leading of the Spirit of God, you may be bringing in other principles that people are teaching around us. You know, so many teachings are going on. When I was in a particular office some years back, and uh, one woman was dealing with me very badly. And uh, one of our uh, colleagues then would tell me that Christianity is not naivety. That Oyedepo said that if somebody, I don't know the way he said it, but what he was asking me is to rise up and fight back and uh, give it back to her just the way she was giving it to me. Mm, I didn't have the energy and I didn't find the conviction to do that. But if I, I imbibe the teaching, I will put aside some things and 
we will start gretting it out. So, but what I'm trying to bring out is that there are so many other teachings around us. Some people teach out of their own experience, which may not be what the Holy Spirit will want you to apply in that situation. So it must be according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Esther was one character that when you look at her life, you will be wondering, how did she make it? The Bible said of Esther that when they were looking for the favor of the king, that king's eunuch is the person that goes in and out to see the king and know what the king wants, know how he wants it. And so when he came to Esther, all the other young girls were asking for so many things. They will ask for the one they will put here. They will ask for the one that will be there. They asked for so many things. But when it was Esther's turn, the Bible says that he took, she took nothing except what the eunuch gave to her. And that was why she was accepted. Because that eunuch had always known what the king looks wants, what is looking out in a person. And for us, who are going to heaven, we have not been this way before. You have never gone to heaven before. The Holy Spirit is the person that Jesus took our hand and said, okay, go with him. Put your hand in him and walk with him. You will get to me. But some of us get to the road and we pull our hand and we start picking principles. Some of these principles are very good. Very good. Very good. In short, if you listen to some of them in, the, in this Facebook, YouTube uh, videos, you will find wonderful principles that people are giving out there. In marriage, in, in your life, in your work, and in your, any other place. But check back how many of those principles are what the Holy Spirit will want you to apply in your situation. Because it's not even every word of God that the Holy Spirit wants you to apply. There's a passage in, uh, in Proverbs that says, Do not answer a fool according to his foolishness. Or two of you will look foolish. Then the next part, he says, Answer a fool according to his foolishness, so that he will not be conceited. That is to say, it is the Holy Spirit that tells you which one to apply in every situation. So don't remove your hand from him. Put back your hand into that union and walk with him. He's the one that will show us what in our life is not proper. And when we find it, what did Jesus say? Repent. Say it now. Repent. Repent. Don't sit on it. Don't pamper it. Don't live with it for the rest of your life. And say, okay, let me let it be. Mm-mm. He wants us to repent. And I believe that the first person that needs a repenting now is the person that has not even known Jesus at all. You know, when you're talking, you see somebody who is wearing pure white, like uh, Emeka is wearing. And you look at him. You say, ah, Emeka, there is dust here now. Why are you carrying dust? Clean it. But you don't see a mechanic with grease all over, dirty all over the place. And you tell, say, clean dust. Which dust will he clean? Everything is dirty. That's the way an unbeliever is before God. We're not talking, you are not talking about dealing with one aspect of your life. 
your whole life, the totality of the life you're living is like a rotten, a filthy rag before God. And if there's anything that you must do this morning, the first thing is to come to that point where Jesus removes that dirty garment and gives you the life of righteousness. That white linen that the saint receives when you commit yourself to him. Every day we hear this message. One day it will be too late. This message, every day you have been hearing it. One day it will be too late. I think it's Ruby's uh, grandmother that will always say that everybody will repent to. It depends where. Some people will repent in hell. Are you getting what I'm saying? So people will repent in hell. When you're crying, oh, had I known, if I had known, I would have given my life to... You're repenting now, but it's already too late. It's already too late. And this is why, for every opportunity you have, can you ask yourself, is there a day that I have come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I want to make peace with you? There's nothing to be ashamed about. Are you, have you made peace with Jesus? Have you made peace with Jesus? The soul that keeps putting off salvation will find time to die. We find time to do every other thing. But one day, this message will be too late. I pray it will not be too late for you. But as we are going to take this song now, I want anybody... Even if it's one person that the Lord is talking to this morning and saying, come back to me. Come back to me. I want to make peace with you. I want that person to just stand up and let's pray with that person as a congregation. And you as an individual. And God is saying, nevertheless, the way you use your mouth does not glorify me. Nevertheless, anger controls you. Nevertheless, there are people to forgive in your life. Nevertheless, you are too stingy with what you have. And so many other areas that God can bring you conviction. Nevertheless, you don't take the things of God serious anymore. It doesn't bother you anymore. In our younger days, if we hear like we see this last day's gathering at Onisha, at Camp of Faith, we jump into the car. Some things have tied us down now, but somehow too, some of us have lost the hunger in our hearts. And God is calling us back to that first love, where we love to hear his word, where we want to stay in his presence. He wants us to come back to him. That nevertheless in your life. Address this also today. So as we are calling the person those, not one person, anybody can come. Say, whosoever will, whosoever will, can come. Whosoever desires, can you put your name in that whosoever? It will be such a shame that you are hearing this message every time. And then one day, you stand before God and there is no, your account has nothing to show that you have met the Lord. Can we bow our heads as we pray? Receive me 
is not to be repented of. Therefore, God, we steadfastly hold to the hand of your Spirit not to let go and not to return to our vomit in the name of Jesus. Father, strengthen us. And Lord, your daughter, we ask that you will strengthen her. Yes, you have caused her to be healed from the infirmity. Father, as she has ministered, we ask that you forth more physical and yet much more spiritual grace to her in the name of the Lord Jesus that she will continue to shine as a light and she will continue to bring forth your word in her home in her workplace and in your congregation thank you father for all that you have done for us our lamp will not be removed our light will not be snuffed out it will shine brighter and brighter, for we take heed to your word, and your spirit is upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Oh, God, we 